Hi, everybody. How many of you just got back today or your first day back in school, at least? Awesome. Welcome home. Were any of you in Africa? Any of the people in Africa? Oh, where are you? Where are you? Kenya? Oh, that's awesome. You guys have a good time? You, you see a lot of miracles? It's awesome. You guys are all doing good? That's kind of a sweet worship time. That I walk in and it's like, okay, stop paying attention to God. Here comes Chris. <laughs> uh oh, sorry, Lord. I guess it can feel that way sometimes. Worship team, thank you very much. I think we. Did we bless them already? Didn't, that wasn't very good, actually, if you were trying to bless them. I might try it again. That's better. Thank you very much. Well, well we had a good time yesterday. Huh. Well, questions and answer time yesterday was very interesting. I was awesome. I'm, of course, teasing. Guys, find your seats and put them in a chair, please. Thank you very much. Awesome. Guys are amazing. So nice having first and second year together. We'll have to do that more when the, maybe do it in the Civic, just get everybody together and we can have a Jesus culture event or something. <coughs> that would be kind of fun. Yeah, it would be fun. If you're still walking around, if you could find your seat, that would be great. Thank you so much. I want to pray and, and we're going to uh, talk about women today. See how far we get. Well, the women are screaming, the men are leaving. So, Holy Spirit, we just thank you for women. Um, where would you be without your mama? We, we just we pray, God, that you would just open up our hearts to these beautiful creatures these beautiful creatures, and that you would teach us, us, uh, all the usins that are women, we teach them how to behave. <laughs> Wrong word choice, but I didn't mean it that way. And teach us as men how to treat women, our, our women's, women, women, our woman. Both. Amen. I have a picture of mine with me all the time, so I remember Holy Spirit. Sometimes when I'm preaching, she's like... Sometimes she's like, good word. <laughs> but um, how many of you were here when I shared, I did a whole series on women for like five weeks 
Oh, awesome. So this will be a lot of repeat. It's good for you to hear again. And if you're, if you're a woman, you probably want to anyway. You're like, yeah, tell those guys the way it is. <clears throat> but uh, turn to Genesis chapter 1, and we're just going to start right at the beginning. In the beginning. And verse 24, we'll start from there. And we'll just see how far we get. I have like, I don't know, 20 pages of notes or something. No, 13. So we'll probably get through a page or two. Um, so verse 24. So God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the field after their kind. And so, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the, of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind. You notice there's a common theme here. And everything that creeps on the ground after their kind. And God saw that it was good. How many know that God made everything after their kind? And now he's about to create man after their kind. I don't know if you got that. Let me read it in context. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. Cattle, creeping things, beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind. And the cattle after their kind. And everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. After their kind. How many of you know that you're made in God's image and likeness? That you were not made... In an image, you were not, you're not a sophisticated chimpanzee or a evolutionized amoeba, but you were made after your kind. God is your kind. Ephesians chapter uh, 5 says, be imitators of God. How many understand when you're acting like God, you're being yourself? You were made after your kind. God made people after his kind. You are made in his image and likeness. That's just a good word. Well, I like that. I never saw it till just this minute. And God created, um, verse 27, God created man in his image. And in his own image, God created him, both male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, and God said Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth, and every tree which, is, uh, that yields, I'm sorry, which has fruit yielding seed, and it shall be for you for food. And to the beasts of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to every living thing that moves in the earth, which, got, which has life, I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. And behold, that means step back and look at it with God. God goes, hey, I made everything. I, God saw all that he made, and he said, behold. In other words, stop and look at what I did. He's asking you to agree with him. He's saying, behold, it's very good. 
And it was, um, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And um, <clears throat> I think we'll just read on before I make comments. Um, uh, chapter two: God makes the the heavens and the earth were complete, and all the hosts. And the seventh day, God completed His work with which He had. Uh, when God had completed His work with which He had done, He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he had rested on he rested from all his work which God had created and made. And it goes on like that. Verse 6, uh, the earth was um, watered by a mist that comes from the earth. Verse 7, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man was made a living being. And the Lord planted, the Lord God planted a garden from the east of Eden, and there he placed man in it, whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing for sight and is good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it goes on to talk about a river there. Verse 15, And um, <clears throat> the Lord God took the man, and he put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate, everybody's to cultivate, and to keep it. Everybody say keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any of the tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat the fruit, everybody say in the day, that you eat the fruit, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, uh, and the Lord God said It's not good for man to be alone. I will make for him a helper suitable for him. So out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field. Where did the Lord God, how did the Lord God form the beast of the field? He formed them what? Out of the ground. Where was man formed? Out of the ground. Isn't that interesting? And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was none found, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon him, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed it up, closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned, everybody say fashioned, into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is my bone, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Everybody say, She was taken out of the man. For this reason, the man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Um, <clears throat> there's several things I want to pull from here. And for those of you that have heard this before, uh, maybe apologize a little bit, but um, I really love this. I really love the book of Genesis, and I see some things in here that maybe um, maybe they're different than the way, what you were taught. But um, you know, in the beginning, God created Adam. It's in verse 27. The word man and the word Adam in the Hebrew is, are identical. So any place in the Old Testament where you see the word M A N, you can put in the word A D A M. It's exactly the same word. So he created Adam, both male and female. Did you notice that? And he told them both to rule and to subdue the earth. And so um, 
we have a pattern, and God made both male and female after his image. And um, the word uh, male comes from the Hebrew word red, and the word female, and don't run out, please, if you haven't heard this before, I don't want you to leave, don't want you to get mad at me, let me finish. The word female comes from the root word to be cursed. Now, uh, so, before before you get mad and run off, I'd like to propose to you that a female in Genesis 1 and a woman in Genesis 2 is not the same person. I would say that Adam was created... Well, let me just go on. I'll tell you why. So now, so um, there was two ways to read this. I understand both of them, and I think that there's justification for both of them. One is that you would read Genesis chapter 1 as an, God's overview of the way, he created, cre- the way he made creation. And you would read it, and you would say, okay, this is God's overview. It's God talking with a wide paintbrush, so to speak, like, this is the overview of how I did it. And then in Genesis 2, we'd have this specific way that God created the different creatures, including man, out of the ground. And that's one way to read the book, and I don't think that's wrong. And then there's uh, another way to read it where you would see that Genesis 1, a little bit more disconnected from Genesis chapter 2. In other words, Genesis 1, God creates, in this way, in Genesis 1, God creates Adam, both male and female, in Genesis 2, God looks down and decides that, that, that Adam's alone and he creates a woman who's not a female. Now, um, I'll explain what I mean more in just a minute if you'll just follow me. I think that if you look at the um, 22nd uh, verse of chapter 2, it's very interesting. It said, And the Lord God fashioned the woman from the rib which he had taken from the man, I'm sorry, uh, verse 21. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed it up from his flesh, and says um, that the man, verse 22, the Lord God fashioned a woman from the rib which he had taken from the man, and he brought her to him. And um, it goes on to say that, Adam goes on to say that she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and the point is, is that she was taken from the man. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that God made Adam both male and female. In Genesis chapter 2, and I don't really care which, what you um, think about this, but I do want to get you to think. In Genesis chapter 2, it says that Eve was taken out of the man. In other words, at one point she was in the man. Now, uh, we had a discussion about this at one point, I remember now, I think with school ministry students, might have been last year. Um, but we talked about it in question and answer time. Someone said, are you saying that Adam had both male and female organs and that when Eve was taken out of her, that he, that literally the woman was taken out of the man? I, I, I'm not exactly sure how all that worked. I think there's lots of ways to look at it. But here's the interesting thing. If you think that God was looking for a helper, so, so let's just let's, let's say what the Bible does say. Adam is alone in the garden. Now, it seems a little odd to me that God created everything after its kind. And Genesis 1, if you take Genesis 1 and you, and you say, this is a, a, a wide brushstroke of God's 
creation and Genesis 2 is God's fine print. Like, this is exactly how I did it. I'm okay with that, but except for this one part. In Genesis 1, in Genesis 2, you have Adam alone in the garden. Now, it, wouldn't we all agree that God made everything to reproduce? Are you following me so far? Like, it doesn't make sense to me that God's first initial response to everything is that they would reproduce after their kind. And that God, that God would take an Adam, Adam uh, male only, in the way that we would initially read this, and say, here's Adam, he's in the garden, he's all by himself, and he's alone, and he needs a suitable helper. Now, if we're, if we're thinking that God is saying he needs a suitable helper like he can't reproduce, because he's all by himself, then I have a real struggle with the next few verses. Because the next few verses, God's trying to find him and help her. Listen, I'm not trying to be funny right now. I'm trying to get you to think. What your conclusion is doesn't really matter to me. The fact you think through this is important to me. So if you think that Adam was all by himself and that he couldn't reproduce, and then you go, okay, so how's God solving that problem because, God, because Adam's by himself? The next verse says that God begins to create creatures called animals and Adam's naming them. And then God and God says, this is God's commentary on the animals. He couldn't find any suitable helper for Adam. This 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 is almost going to sound like perversion. It seems really weird if you think that God was looking for a mate for Adam that he would create animals when he already told you that everything was to reproduce after its kind and then pass them before Adam to find to see if he was attracted to any of them is a very perverted observation of Genesis chapter 2. Would you agree? And so what I'm getting at is this, is that I think we're agreeing that if Adam was alone or not alone, God was not passing animals by him to figure out if Adam needed someone to reproduce with. Would we agree? And it seems odd to me that, that man, whether he lived a day or whether he lived 10,000 years from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2, it seems odd that God would create something that couldn't reproduce because everything else reproduced. So this is only my perspective. It is not, it is, I should emphasize, it is not the perspective of our sponsors. My opinion is, is that God created Adam, both male and female, in that I don't know how it would look, and I'm trying to, I'm, you know, I understand that when you start to visualize, it gets weird. But that Adam, he created Adam, male and female. Now, whether he created Adams that were male and Adams that were female, which is a much easier way to look at it, and they could reproduce, that's one way to look at it. The strange thing from, from that perspective is that when God put Adam to sleep, man to sleep, we know for a fact, according to the scripture, that he took the woman out of the man, which means that one time she was in the man. Are you following me? And this is, my, this is what I think, and we'll talk about the suitable helper part in a minute. But here's what I think. I think that the woman was in the man. I think that Adam could reproduce. But I think that Adam was created to need God. So when God would come down in the cool of the garden, at, in, at, in, at times he would come down in the cool of the garden, 
And, and I believe that God created Adam to need God. He needed, or let's just say, it's easier to say man in this case. I think that God created man, people, he created people to need God. In other words, without God, they weren't complete. And I think that what happened was that when Adam was in the garden, even though he had a female to reproduce with, he didn't have anybody who filled the hole that God filled in his life so that when God was gone, even though he wasn't by himself, he felt alone. And This is my opinion. And I think that God said, I need to create somebody suitable for him. Not sexually suitable, because in my opinion, he can already reproduce. So God puts him to sleep, and he takes the woman out of the man. Now what happened? God breaks Adam in half. Now, God, now Adam is no longer male and female. He is only male. And I'm not just talking about in his reproductive organs. I'm talking about in his, in, in his personhood. He is now not male and female. He's only male. And then God takes the woman, the feminine, out of the, uh, of the masculine. He separates it. Are you with me? The word suitable means the opposite of or something that is um, um, uh, corresponding to. So he takes the woman out of the man. Now, what does that mean? Why isn't Adam alone anymore? Because Adam needs the woman, like he needs God. She fulfills him because she happens to be the other part of him. Let me be clear. I'm not saying that the woman is God to him. I'm saying that she's a piece of him. Not the, he's not, she's not God to him. She's a piece to him, of him. And he is not, he's not whole without her in, in the same sense that he's not whole without God. Now he, now he relates to her in the same way he relates to God, and you go, well, that, well, that seems kind of like sacrilegious or, or idolistic. And I'm like, wait a second, remember Ephesians 5? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he goes on to say, I'm not actually talking about husbands and wives, but I'm actually talking about the bride and the groom. I'm actually talking about Christ and the church, in other words, he's saying to the church, he's saying, listen, church, you are the bride and I'm the bridegroom. I'm relating to you as a bride. You're the, you're the bride. You're the, you're the one who was born to be adored. I'm the one who was born, uh, not born. I'm the one who pursues you. You're the, you're the pursued. A husband shall, a father, I'm sorry, a husband shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. You understand that's a prophetic statement because there are no fathers and mothers yet. Adam and Eve are the first two. So what's he saying? A husband shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. We all understand that when they get married, the wife's going to leave her mother and father too. Or it's going to be really weird that they both live with mom and dad. Hers. What's the point he's making? He's saying that the man shall be the pursuer of the woman. The husband shall leave his mother and father. A husband shall be the pursuer. This, this is a beautiful picture of the bride. Jesus is the bridegroom. We're the bride. It, what's, you know, it feels weird to be a man for those of you who are ladies. And we're like, I'm the bride of Christ. It's, you know, it's like, and the women are sons of God. So we're like cross-dressers. 
But, but, but God's not talking to us about our, um, our organic makeup as much as he's talking about our organic role. Like, the, the, the bride is the pursuer, we're the pursued. We, we were born to be adored. God was, God was, Jesus Christ came to redeem us, to rescue us. He's our rescuer, he's our champion, he's our prince. We were locked up in an evil castle. He came to rescue us from the evil prince. Do you, are, you, are you with me? From the prince of the power of the air. It's a beautiful picture. But it began in Genesis chapter 2, where God takes the bride... Uh, groom, he takes the bride out of the bridegroom. When Jesus died on the cross, it says that the, that, that the soldiers pierced his side and blood and water came out of his side. How many understand that, the, that Eve was taken out of the side of Adam and the bride was taken out of the side of Christ? We, we are a part of Christ. He's the head, we're the body. You can't separate us. Are you with this? We're not complete without Christ, but this sounds a little strange. But in a, in a, in a, in a way, he's, the body of Christ isn't complete without us. It's not all about Christ because it's not, he doesn't want it to be. It's not all about us because he doesn't want it to be. Like, we were made for one another. We were taken out of the man. <laughs> just like the bride was taken, just like Eve was taken out of the man. Are you with me? And so it says, so he wants to make, he's looking for a suitable helper. And you know, all kinds of weird stuff comes out of this teaching. Um, not from my teaching, because I don't teach weird stuff. <laughs> the word helper right there is used 19 times in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew. It's used 16 times for God and 3 times for a woman. In other words, he's saying, I need to find somebody for you that's like, like me to you. So when somebody says, well, you know, a woman was made as a helper, it's like, be careful, because that's used more for God than for a woman. And then I have people, it's like, well, don't you realize that, you know, we're talking about, um, we're talking about creation order, like, man was made first and then woman, that's why he's over her. Well, then I don't know why Bambi isn't over you. Because God made animals before he made people. Huh. You have a serious problem with those thoughts. And, as I've said many times, you'll notice that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, man was formed from dirt. Formed. Look at it. In your Bible. Verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man. Formed man. It's a totally different Hebrew word than the word in verse 22 of chapter 2. And God fashioned a woman. He formed a man. He fashioned a woman. It really is two different Hebrew words. I looked it up. Formed. Man. Little rustic, but good enough. And God's like, he takes the woman, and, 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 I mean, the bone out of the, the man, and he begins to fashion it. I'm sure the angels are like, you didn't take that much time with Adam. 
And she's not fashioned from dirt. She's fashioned from more sophisticated material. She's a second generation creation. Listen, Adam is formed out of dirt and so are the animals. <laughs> I'm telling you what it says right here. It says, God formed the animals from the dirt. Out of the ground, verse 19, out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field. What did he do with man? Out of the, the uh, and, uh, verse 7, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. It never says that God formed the woman from dust, from dirt. It says he fashioned her. He fashioned her from more sophisticated material. He didn't fashion her from the from the from the heel of the man or from the toe or from any foot bone. He fashioned her from the bone from his side. Hollow. To stand beside him, not under him. He's a prophetic declaration. When God tells you where he took the bone, there's a reason. Are you with me? And then from this day on, which has been seen as a negative, but it's actually very positive, God never counts women in a crowd from that day on. Never. Whenever God sees a crowd, He says, there's 3,000 men. There's 5,000 men. There's 7,000 men. Like, it's dishonoring. Why don't you count the women? Because if God did that, He would count them twice. Because He said, the two shall make one. So the point is this, is that if you're a man or you're a woman and you're not married, you're only half a person. The rest of you may be sitting next to you. <laughs> you single people, it's your struggle. <laughs> Why? You know, you think you have a, a high sex drive. You just need the other person. You just need to be complete. Like, where is the rest of me? I have lost myself. I know you're out there somewhere. 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 I know, you know, men wake up every day and say this. Where's the rest of me? <laughs> <laughs> I wake up every day and I'm like, what happened to all of me? So, should I just let you be in pain for a while or should I say something about that? <laughs> so, God created you to need a woman. He created you, if you're a woman, to need a man. Two ribs don't go together. Dirt and ribs. <laughs> I like the way I put that, actually. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, And I wish that all men were even as I, myself. However, each man has his own gift. Everybody say gift. Yeah. 
It's chapter 7, verse 7 of 1 Corinthians. Each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it's good for them if they remain even as I. But, I, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. The Message Bible says it's better to marry than to be sexually tortured. Now, I, I want to make a point, at least one today. It's not natural for you to live singly your whole life. Well, that's tormenting for some of you. And for some of you, it's a relief. Like you know why you're being tormented. (laughs) Unless you have a gift from God. And when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, like 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it's actually the same word, gift from God, when it says that Paul says, listen, each man has his own gift from God, speaking of singleness. He's saying singleness is a gift from God. You're like, okay, it's, it's a gift to be single. Yes, it is, but not in the way that you may have mentioned it unless you understand that the word gift there is the word charisma, and it means a supernatural endowment. It doesn't mean God just gave you a gift. It means he gave you a supernatural endowment. Why is God making that? Why is he saying that? Why is Paul saying that through God saying that through Paul. Paul's saying, listen, it's pra- practically I'd rather you be single. But it takes a special supernatural gift from God. Why? Because without this gift, you're only half a person. The, man was, the woman was taken out of the man. Like, you're not complete. But when God gives you a gift of singleness, the gift of singleness doesn't just deal with your sex drive, it deals with your wholeness. And you can be whole, complete, without the man or without the woman because God's given you a supernatural endowment to be single. Are you following me? If you're single right now, I would pray that you get a gift from God to stay that, to be single until you find your mate, even if you want to find a mate, Because you need wholeness in your life no matter what condition you're in. Is that helpful? If you don't ever want to be married, that's fine with me. All I'm saying is, if I were you, I would pray for a gift from God to remain that way. Because in the beginning, God took one person and made them two. Which means, in some way, I know I'm kind of teasing and exaggerating. But in some way, you need the female or you need the male depending on if you're a man or woman, to actually complete you. God did not create you to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. Can I suggest that that would be the same with the woman? It's not good for the woman to be alone. God said, listen, he looked down, he saw everything was good, Genesis 1. And then he said, it's not first time God ever said something wasn't good. It's not good for the man to be alone. It's, let me say it this way. It's not good for people to be alone. God did not create you to be alone. He created you to be with the opposite sex. You were created to be with the opposite sex. So your longing, I, I know this is some intense in here. This is, I can feel the tense, tense. I know there's lots of woo, swirling ideas and 3,000 questions that I won't answer. For some of you, this really helps to explain your intense desire to be married. 
Some of you are like, you know, I came to supernatural school and I'm just supposed to love Jesus. And I just keep thinking, I want to be married. And, you, and, you know, you come to um, really spiritual places. And I'm sorry, I have a real struggle with this idea. And you're going you're gonna to hear it from me. This is, again, not necessarily the opinion of our sponsors. But I have a struggle when we spiritualize singleness. When God spiritualizes marriage. And so, you know, I, I, I know that most ministry schools in the world uh, that I know of, they, um, they don't even let their students date. And that's fine. Listen, God bless their souls. I understand why many of them don't. Uh, you know, um, as, as they're, for instance, YWAM, YWAMers are living on the same base. I understand the risks involved, and there's lots of different reasons why there would be a no dating rule for that season. I get that. I understand that. And uh, but, but in my opinion, the most important decision you'll make in your whole life is finding Jesus. The second most important decision you'll make in your whole life is finding your, your life mate. Finding your other half, the person who completes you. Why would I not want that to happen here? Unless you find the wrong one, or unless Jesus tells you it's not the time, or unless you're supposed to be single. Those are reasons, but besides that, find your mate, get married, so I can say I succeeded in this supernatural school of marriage. It's very fun when you go to a place like this um, and you, you come from all over the place and you end up at a supernatural school of ministry and you're here because you fell in love with God and while you fall in love with God, you fall in love with the, your mate, the man of your dreams. The, I mean, to me, the woman of your dreams, you couldn't write a better script where did you go to find your mate? I went to the supernatural school of ministry. I supernaturally found the man of my dreams. I supernaturally found the woman of my dreams. I mean, how does he do better than that? Like, I don't want them to distract me from God. He that finds a wife finds favor with God. Men, are you listening to me? How many of you men would like to have favor with God? Get married. If you are married, you have it already. This is such a good word. It's so counter the spiritual... You know, I love it. It just messes with people because there's this like super spiritual weird thing that goes on in religion that just makes me crazy. That I just am completely opposed to. Listen, if you're single and God's told you to be single, there is no pressure on you. You should stay single, and by the word of the Lord, obey God. Are you with me? If you're supposed, to, if God said, "Hey, you, I, I'm sending you to uh, school, and I want you to, you know, not look at guys, not look at girls for, you know, two years. I want you to completely focus on me." I respect that, and I really do think there are people in this room and people in our school that God told you that, and you better obey God rather than men. But the rest of you obey men. Specifically this one. So, that's my Genesis 1 and 2 story. Um, it's the, I, I should make uh, uh, mention again 
In verse 7 it says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. And listen to this. He breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. Uh, the word breath there is the same word spirit. The spirit of life. And man became a living being. You'll notice in verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I'll make a suitable helper. Verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, so on, so on, so on. But he did not breathe his spirit into them. So what's the difference between a man and an animal? The spirit of God. That's why when you check, you know, when they do DNA tests, a chimpanzee or whatever they say is one chromosome off from a man. Why wouldn't it be? They're made out of the same raw material. The difference is spirit. God breathed in them. And also, how many understand that God did not fashion or form animals after himself? He only did that with man. That's a good word right there. Now, chapter 3. Am I moving too fast? Is this boring? Are you all right? In chapter 3... Um, you, you know, they're, they're in the garden, they're, they're naked vegetarians. I am so glad for the new covenant. I'm serious, I'm so glad we can, you know, if God did not want us to eat animals, He wouldn't have made them out of meat. That's what I believe. Every time I eat an animal, I put it in the ministry. <laughs> And so the, the woman gets deceived. In fact, we should just read it, because we may have some time to make this point. The serpent was more crafty than any of the beast of the field which the Lord had made. And the Lord said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from the tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat it or touch it, or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and she ate it, and she gave to her husband with her, and he ate it. Did you notice that the husband was with her? He ate it too. <laughs> then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. <laughs> Very funny to me. Verse 8. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of day. And the man said, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? <laughs> That's just one of the funniest verses in the whole Bible. The God cannot find you. Here I am. I'm hiding behind a leaf. It's the fruit of the loom. I got my fruit of the looms on. I <laughs> said... To him, um, where are you? I mean, you know, if God can't find you, you are lost. The omnipresent God cannot find you. Seriously, you are in trouble. 
How many of you know that God isn't saying, where are you physically? God knows where he is physically. He just doesn't know where he is. Where are you? Adam, where are you? I I know you're right there. I'm not asking you where you are in a garden. I'm asking you where you are in your heart. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman, (laughs) it's all her fault. She gave me from the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And I love this part. I don't like a lot of it, but the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat. Where did man come from? Dust. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your heel. I'm sorry. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel, or crush him on the head. Um, I'll stop for a minute. Well, we'll just finish reading this. To the woman he said, I shall greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, and in pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Say, he will rule over you. And then to Adam he said, because you have not listened, no, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, guys, this is a lesson, And have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall grow for uh, for you, and you shall eat the plants, and you and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face you will eat bread uh, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, and for uh, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Um, That's a pretty sad day when God cursed everybody. God wasn't in a good mood. (laughs) People are like, you always say God was always in a good mood. It's like, no, he was in a bad mood just one day. (laughs) Actually, two days. He wasn't in a good mood around Noah's time either. Okay, so um, a, a few points I just want to bring from this is that before Adam and Eve fell, they were co-laboring. They co-reigned. She was taken from his side. Whether you want to take Genesis 1, where God told them both to subdue the earth, male and female, and say the female is the woman, that's one way to look at it. Or, or if you want to say that God, that God took her from his side... And you'll notice that when the serpent went into the garden to deceive someone, he didn't try to deceive Adam. He went right to the top. He deceived Eve. What's the point? If Eve didn't have authority, he, couldn't have, he wouldn't have tried to deceive her. And the woman was deceived, but the man disobeyed. She said, the snake, the serpent deceived me. Adam said, hey, the woman you gave me, God said, I command you, you didn't listen. 
How many of you understand it wasn't the sin of Eve that put the human race under a curse? It was the sin of Adam. Adam knew better, and he did it anyway. Eve actually thought she was doing the right thing. She was deceived. Are you with me? She did the wrong thing in some way with the right heart. But Adam knew what he was doing was wrong. And he stood right by and watched her eat the tree and did not even say a word to her. And then took from it. And how many of you understand they didn't just obey, disobey God, they obeyed the devil. So they changed masters. Okay. You look a little bit bored, so we'll try to move on. Then God, in verse 14, God begins to curse the three of them, the serpent, the woman, and, and, and the man. And when he curses the serpent, it's so interesting to me. I've shared this many times now in the last six months. But he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. I, I never realized that that wasn't the curse. I read that as the curse over the woman. Like, okay, you let the snake, you let the devil deceive you. And now I'm going to put hostility between you and the devil. That was not the curse over the woman. It was the curse over the snake. The curse over the snake was the woman's going to be hostile with you. She's going to hate you. She's going to be mad at you. Listen, you're going to eat dust. Worse yet, woman's going to hate you. And I, I really do believe that women are at the spear point of warfare against the enemy, and it's not men. I'm not saying that men are. I'm not saying that the devil doesn't hate men. I'm saying that a hostility, the actual felt hatred for the human race, is actually against women. And that's why women, from the very from Genesis three on, that's why they are oppressed by every generation, by every by by every uh, ethnic group. By every country, from every generation, women have been oppressed in every society. Find a society where women aren't oppressed. So, well, America, they couldn't vote till 1920. Modern world. And probably most women in this room would feel, not feel that they have equal rights when they come into a church. It's funny that some women in this, in this room would feel like that the world's given them equal rights, but the church hasn't. Some women would feel more powerful outside the kingdom than inside. So the people that Jesus died for, it's funny that many women would feel oppressed in the church and free in the world. It ought not be this way. Next verse says that you're going to have pain in childbirth. But the biggest part of the curse for the woman was, and your husband will rule over you. That was a curse. Your husband will rule you is a curse. It was never intended. Husbands were never intended to rule wives. They were, I'm going to make a helper suitable for you who corresponds to you, who's opposite of you, and I'm going to take her out of your side, not out of your foot. They were, they were designed, divine design was co-reign. Curse was, he will rule you. That's a curse. The curse over the man is, 
is interesting because the man wasn't just cursed alone, but the ground was cursed. In other words, all of creation was cursed with Adam. So God, you'll notice God doesn't just curse Adam. He cursed every creature from there on. He says, you're going to toil, you're going to, you're going to work in the field, but it's going to yield thorns and thistles. What's the point? Creation itself is under a curse. It's Romans 8. How did that happen? Not because of Eve, but because of Adam. Are you following me so far? Okay, so... Um, it's a good word. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, how, what time am I supposed to be done? Who's in charge here? What time? 3.30. Okay, good. In Genesis, I'm sorry, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. Okay, when Jesus died on a tree, on a cross, he broke the curse off of us. That's why he wore a crown of thorns, which you've heard from me before, because what, was, what did the ground yield? Thorns and thistles. And that's why he was crucified at Golgotha, because it means the skull, and he's the head of the body. And so the point is, is that when Jesus died on the cross, he took the curse on himself so that we could be free from the curse and we could be moved back into the place that we were created to be, back into divine design. So my question is, and you've heard me ask this before, when do women get released from the curse? In 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Peter writes this, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. And then we usually say it like this, As someone weaker, since she is a woman, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. That's the way we've read that verse for hundreds of years. You don't realize what Peter's saying and what culture he's saying it in. He's saying, listen, you can maybe you can beat your wife up. Maybe you're stronger. And I think that we'd have to agree, ladies, as a, as a human race, that you, know, you don't see women trying out for NFL football. Uh, and men don't fight women. Women don't fight men in competitions because it's agreed that men are stronger physically than women unless you want to have a baby. And then we know who's really stronger. But to Peter's point, he's saying specifically this. You may be able to beat up your wife. Listen, you may be stronger than her. You may be physically stronger than her. But if you don't treat her as a co-heir of the same grace, God isn't going to hear your prayers. That's a powerful passage because it was written in a day when women were considered possessions. They weren't taught. They weren't spoke. They, you weren't to speak to a woman in public, and they weren't. They weren't even taught in. Um, they weren't. They weren't supposed to be taught. Like they were illiterate. They didn't. They. They didn't read. They, when Jesus taught Martha and Mary in their home, and Mary was, you know, uh, was sitting at Jesus' feet learning, and Martha was in the kitchen. I mean, Martha was doing what women do. 
And Mary was taking on a whole nother role for women. Mary was being taught. Do you understand? A man was teaching a woman. Counterculture. And Mary, it's, and, and Mary, Martha says, how, tell, I'm sorry, Martha says, tell Mary to help me. And Jesus says, she's chose the better thing. Not just sit at my feet, be taught. Learn. When um, Paul says to, to the Corinthians women, and we'll talk about this probably in another session, but when he says, if a woman has a question, let her ask her husband at home. It's actually a positive. He's saying to the husbands, teach your wives. Do not leave them ignorant. Are you, are you following me? Husbands, you have a, you have a, you, listen, you have a responsibility to train your wives. Teach your wives. Listen, they're having questions publicly in here. All of them are. Why? They've never been taught before. This is very disruptive. What I want you to do is take your wife home and teach her. Listen, the questions she has, because she doesn't have all these generations of foundation. You can imagine, you know, Paul's teaching Corinthians. He's one of the most brilliant scholars who's ever lived. He's written 14 books of the Bible. He's probably got some heavy things to say, right? This is a woman, these women that are in the church, they've never been taught before. Plus, they're Corinthians, which means they're, 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 they're come up in polytheism. They're multiple gods. Paul's teaching some pretty heavy stuff here in Corinthians. You can imagine, they probably have a question every other line. I don't get that. I don't get that. I don't get that. They've never been to school. These are Afghan-type women. All they've done, all they know how to do is take care of children. That's all they've been allowed to do. They don't get any of the concept. Paul says, listen, guys, take your wives home and, and answer their questions. Teach them at home. He doesn't say don't teach them. He says teach them at home. This is disruptive. Are you following me? So the goal wasn't to keep women ignorant. The goal was to bring women into their place in God. <sighs> Such a good point. I am so passionate about this. I'm telling you. I told you, this is a book I'm written, writing right now. God's Most Beautiful Creation. There, um, there is, uh, I'm going to touch on just one aspect. I'm skipping a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and, and a lot of it is, I've taught it before. But I want to teach on one aspect. Um, and Paul talks about, in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 14. In fact, I'll just read it to you. Ladies, don't leave. Women are to keep silent in the church. They're not permitted to speak. They're to subject themselves just as the law says. They're, um, I'm sorry, but they are to be subject themselves just as the law says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it's improper for a woman to speak in church. Well, it's very interesting. Paul says a woman, that women are to keep silent at church. They're not permitted to speak. Just as the law says. Well, you can't find a place anywhere in the Old Testament, in the law, that tells you that a woman cannot speak. So if women are going to be subject, as the law says, women were not restricted from speaking in the law. Hello. But let's go on. Paul goes, <laughs> I know, it's going to get worse. Just for a couple of minutes. Um, let me find it here. Paul said, um, 
that I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. I'm trying to find the exact scripture. Some of you guys probably know it by heart. That was a joke. <laughs> now the guys are afraid to say which verse it is. It's Timothy, but uh, first, first Timothy two what? Levenish. <laughs> you know it by heart. So someone's repeated it to you. Here I know how. It. Oh, here it is. Yeah, First Timothy two nine. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly, discreetly, not with braided hair. Women don't braid your hair or gold or pearls or costly garments. Go cheap. <laughs> but by, rather by means of good works, it's proper for women for making a claim of godliness. A woman must uh, quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman was be, being deceived, fell into transgression. Okay, we could talk about the whole deceived thing, but I want to just take on this part. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. That's a really interesting concept because um, in Acts chapter uh, 18, as a for instance, it says, Now there was a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. Everybody say he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in the Spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Priscilla and Aquila, what did they do? They taught him. She taught him. She's named first. She taught a man who was already eloquent in the Scriptures. Are you following me? And um, it, it goes on and on like that. Um, that women taught. Women were prophetesses in the New and Old Testament. A prophetess, according to Ephesians chapter 4, was an office. Uh, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says first apostles and second prophets. The word first there means first in rank. rank. So first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. How many of you understand that if you're a prophetess, then you least fit into number two? And Paul also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that if a woman was praying or prophesying that she had to have her hair covered. I think you would have to talk to pray or prophesy. It's just a thought. So in 1 Corinthians 11, he said women can pray and prophesy as long as they have their head covered. Now, you, we can talk about the head covering thing, but do we all agree that a woman could pray or prophesy with her head covered? Okay, then three chapters later, Paul said they can't speak. Do you see a little incongruity? That they can... Pray and prophesy, but they can't speak. And so, and then my next point would be this. There's very few churches in the world, anywhere, Protestant or Catholic, where a female cannot speak in church. But there are hundreds of churches where women can't teach. 
Paul wrote both of those letters. So in one place he says a woman can't speak, and in another place he says a woman can't teach. Why is it that you receive that she can speak, but she can't teach? What I'm getting at is that if you're going to apply the books of uh, the, the epistles the same way you would apply the book of Leviticus to a nation, then why would you let women speak at all when the same person who said a woman can't teach said a woman can't speak? Why you let your women speak, and but you still don't let them teach? And I'll tell you why. Because the reason's obvious. You understand that when Paul said a woman can't speak in church, that that cannot be universally applied, that it had to be specific to a group of people. It only makes sense. Because in 1 Corinthians 11, he says they can pray and prophesy. So you take 1 Corinthians 14, where it says a woman can't speak, in church, and you go, that can't be universally applied. It doesn't make sense that when our, when our women walk through this door, they have to suddenly be mute. That doesn't make sense. But it seems to make sense to you that a woman forever can never teach or exercise authority. Although she can be a prophetess in the Old Testament like Deborah, or she can be a queen and exercise authority like Esther, in the church she can't be an elder. So she can rule a country, but she can't lead a church. I don't know if you're having a struggle with this. She can rule a country of millions, but she can't lead a church of a hundred. She can be a prophetess, but she can't be an elder. She can be a prophetess, but she can't teach. She can be a prophetess, but she can't exercise authority over a man. It's really odd. Not only that, but if those were the only scriptures, the three scriptures that restrict women, that'd be one thing. But there are hundreds of scriptures that actually empower women. The point is this, that Paul restricts women in certain circumstances, specifically uh, he speaks to Timothy, who was at Ephesus, and to the Corinthians. Ephesus, you will remember, was the seat of of the goddess Diana. And Corinth was the seat of polytheism, where they had temple prostitutes. That's why Paul says that if a woman's going to speak without a covering, I mean prophesy without a covering, let her have her head shaved because the temple prostitutes all shave their heads. Are you with me? What I'm getting at is this. He was speaking to specific women in specific cultures about authority. He didn't mean it to be universally applied. If he did, then why are there 50 other verses about women being in authority, teaching prophesying, why is it say, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy? Well, your sons and daughters shall prophesy, but not in the church. And my question is, where is the church? And especially in those days, was the church a building? Because remember, they met from house to house and in the temple. So I don't think in those days they even had the concept the church would be considered a building. In other words, if in, in the last days I'm going to pour my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, I would say that the early church would think of women prophesying in the church. Because they are the church. Huh? Okay. It's tough in here. You should try this in the south. You should try this in Latin countries if you think it's tense in here right now. 
In Acts 21, verse 8, it says that Philip had um, seven daughters. I'm sorry, had four daughters who were prophetesses. Why do I write seven there? Fixed note. Had four daughters who were prophetesses in Acts. Uh, I'm sorry, in Luke chapter two, verse thirty-six, it says Anna was a prophetess. In Acts, in Exodus chapter fifteen, verse twenty, it says Miriam was a prophetess. In Judges chapter four, verse four, it says Deborah was a prophetess. In um, in Second Kings chapter two, verse fourteen, it says Hilkiah was a prophetess and also a priestess. And so it just goes on like that. Um, in, Gen- in Galatians chapter two, um, chapter three, verse twenty-eight says, "There's neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, or male or female in Christ." In uh, Romans chapter sixteen, Paul greets a woman named Junus, and she's called, and he says that she's outstanding among the apostles. In Psalms chapter sixty-eight, verse eleven, it says, "The Lord gives the command: the women who proclaim the good tidings are a great host." The kings of the army flee. They flee. She who remains at home will divide the spoil. When you lie down among the sheepfolds, you are like the wings of a dove covered with silver and pinions and glistening gold. When the Almighty shattered the kings there, it was snowing in Zalman. Who, who did he shatter the kings through? The women who proclaim the good news are a great host. <laughs> Just a good word. Jesus is 30 years old, and he says, I only do what I see my father doing. Mary says, it's time to make wine. He said, no, she said, make wine. He says, it's not my time. She said, do it anyway. He listened to his mother. He's 30 years old. Instead of his father. He said, I only do what my, I see my father doing. He didn't see his father making wine, but he heard his mother say, it's time to make wine. He honored his mother. Come on. Give me a little Amen. In Proverbs 31, this is the king, the words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. His mother taught him. The word, the name Lemuel means belonging to God, and it's probably the nickname for Solomon, which means that Proverbs was written by Bathsheba. Proverbs 31 was what Bathsheba taught Solomon. Listen, whether you believe that or not, a king was taught by his mother. It got in the Bible. All through the book of Proverbs, God, uh, Solomon says through the book of Proverbs, Do, um, listen to the instruction of your father and the teaching of your mother. Are you with me? This is a good word. And I, I really do believe that it's time for our women to be to come into their proper place to stand not below us, but with us. I really do believe that. I believe it's time for women to, to say, well, we don't oppress women. Okay, great. Do you empower them? Do you empower them? 1 Corinthians 11, I got in this big old, oh, it was an argument when we were in another country and, and someone stood up and read to me 1 Corinthians 11, which I know uh, most of that chapter by heart, and says God is the head of every, God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of every man and man is the head of every woman. Therefore, let a woman have her head covered 
as a sign of authority for the sake of the angels. I skipped two verses there, but that's the overall our overarching verse. And, and the man stood up and he read that to me. And he said, man, he said, God is over Christ. Christ is over man. And man is over a woman. I said, okay, we're just going to take it your way. So if God was over Christ, what did he do with Christ? He said, I don't get your point. I said, I read that he raised him up and seated him in heavenly places. And he gave him a name above every name. Which would be his name. That's why the name of God became Jesus. Because he gave him a name above every name. What did Christ do for man? It's Ephesians 2. He raised us up and seated us. And if you don't want to include women in that, let's call it men for a minute. He raised man up and seated us in heavenly places with Christ. Romans 8 says that we're co-reign with him. We're seated on the same throne he's seated on. So I asked this man, if God promoted Christ above him and Christ promoted man, what would be man's job with women? This is not a hard question. (laughs) See, if you want to read that that way, which I understand there are different ways to view that, but let's just view it the most, if you will, the, 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 the most... oppressive way let's view it that way let's say that women's authority comes from a man i understand that's offensive to some women but let's just view it like that for a minute what if man does have authority over a woman what's his responsibility with what is he supposed to do with his authority does he keep it or does he give it away because jesus said greater works for you do when i go to be with father what did jesus do he gave us greater authority than he had what did the Father do? Gave Jesus greater authority and a greater name. So my question is for men, if you want to view 1 Corinthians 11 like that, okay, I'll take you to the task. What is your job if you are the head of a woman? Your job, if you, t- if you want to use 1 Corinthians 11 as a pattern, what did God do for Christ? What did Christ do for man? And then what should you do for a woman? As a matter of fact, do you know that a woman is never commanded to lay down her life for her man? But a man is commanded to lay down his life for his wife. A wife is commanded to submit to her husband. But did you notice before she's commanded to submit to her husband that they're commanded to submit to one another? It says, submit yourselves to one another. Then it breaks off and says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then he's told to lay down his life for her. She doesn't ever go on to say, and wives, you also submit your, you also lay down your, your lives for your man. It doesn't say that. It only tells her to submit after it tells them both to submit. And then it tells a man, die for your woman. Never tells the woman, die for your man. Who's most protected in a relationship, the woman or the man? The woman. Why? She's second-generation creation. She's born to be adored. She's born to be pursued, protected, nurtured, cultivated. Remember, Adam was in the garden cultivating. What was the woman doing? Incubating. What was the man doing? Cultivating. Women incubate, men cultivate. Uh, that's right. You give a woman sperm, she gives you a baby. 
You bring home meat, she makes it a meal. You buy a house, she makes it a home. Watch out when you give her crap when she incubates that, what's going to come back to you. My wife is like Frankenstein, and you must be the mad scientist. I don't care how you read the Scripture. If you read the Scripture in a way that oppresses people, you've missed the whole point of the cross. I'm going to say it again. If you read the Scripture in a way that oppresses any people group, any people group, you have misunderstood the cross. The cross freed people, freed, no, the cross freed creation from the curse and empowered all of mankind, sons and daughters, old and young, male and female, bond servants and rich people. Doesn't matter your gender, your generation, or your social class, you're called to be full of the Spirit, and to move powerfully in God. That's the way it is. If it makes you nervous, it's because the devil doesn't want you to know that the most powerful weapon, weapons in the room have gone undeployed. He's not afraid of you men. He's afraid of the woman. He's afraid of the woman's why he's oppressed her forever. He knows if she finds her rightful place, he's in big trouble because she's inherently pit mad. She's inherently mad. See, she was deceived. He was disobedient. She thought. She didn't know she was doing the wrong thing. He knew it. And when she figured out that what she did was wrong, she was mad. You tricked me. You tricked me. God said, you tricked her, and she's going to be mad at you. You made a serious mistake. This is the curse over you. The woman will be hostile with you. I can't imagine what happens when three and a half billion women take their rightful place on the planet. I hear a lot of treading. And I really believe that that's your role. You've been blessed with the ability to give birth to humans. Men can't do that. We can help. Amazing. So, I'd like all the women who are single first to stand up. They're single. I want you to extend your hands. To our beautiful women. Holy Spirit, we just release a warrior's cry over our women. 
And we, Lord, we release them into their God-given right to destroy the works of the devil, to teach us compassion and love, nurturing, and for the maternal instinct to return to the planet. May they give birth to the greatest revival in history. Lord, we bless them, we honor them, and we ask, God, that you would change the mindset of religious values that have locked some of our best and brightest away in the prison of oppression. Thank you, Lord. We just release them right now. Ladies, put your hand on your heart. Lord, we pray that you would heal their broken hearts, that you would restore their soul. We pray for our daughters and our granddaughters and our great-granddaughters that they would live without oppression. They would not know oppression. They'd be free to dream, free to fly, free to create, and free to be holy women. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We pray for Haman to hang on the gallows that he created for these women. That he'd fall into his own trap. That was what was made to destroy our women. Our women would destroy the works of the devil. Thank you, Lord. Now I want the women who are married to stand up, please. And those others can sit, please. I'm sorry uh, this lady sit one more time I want the single woman to stand one more time I, I, I want to pray for the man of their dreams sorry I do this all the time but I'm doing it again Lord, I pray for the prince. No frogs. No kissing frogs to find a prince. Listen, you'll know a prince when you see him because he doesn't look like a frog. He looks like a prince. (laughs) There it is, right there, ladies. Did you hear that? If he looks like a frog, he jumps like a frog. He acts like a frog. He's a frog. Lord, we just release princes to find these beautiful women. Lord, that they would find the man of their dreams. And those that have been called to singleness for the rest of their lives, or even for this season, that you would give them a gift from God. To, be, to act holy, to be, to be holy, 
to be whole in Jesus' name. A supernatural endowment from the Lord himself. For the rest of them, find a man. I pray for attraction. I pray for supernatural attraction. That your man could be a hundred miles from here, but the one that God's assigned to you, would, he would smell his way here. In Jesus' name. Okay, single ladies, you can sit. Now we're praying for the married Married women, stand, I'm sorry. Yes, okay. Lord, I just release authority and power over these women. That you would bless them. That you would heal their hearts. That their marriages would be something of a fairy tale. A storybook. That their children would rise up and bless them. As is written, Queen of Sheba to Solomon. In the gates, they would speak well of you. And in places of authority, you would be mentioned. I just release you in Jesus' name. I release you to teach. I release you to prophesy. I release you to have the Spirit of God on you. I release you to places of leadership. I release you to be everything God's called you to. Thank you, Lord. And I pray for your husbands to be noble men. Men who not only see you as, uh, as, a, as a servant, but a friend and a leader. Lord, I bless what you're doing in these ladies and may their homes be full of laughter. May everybody who knows them speak well of them. And may their husbands adore them and honor them, both as sisters, lovers, and women of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, um, we're going to be going...